This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. The one thing I think we all have in common today, not only here in Georgia, but in the United States and globally, is a desire to live, thrive, and to be healthy. And despite the devastating toll that COVID-19 has had on our communities, heart disease remains the number one health threat for women. If you were watching the news on Friday, you noticed all across the channels, women wore red to raise awareness and encourage women of all ages to take charge of their health. My guest on Perspectives today is Anna Williams. And man, oh man, does she have a story to share. She is someone who has battled heart disease. And Anna, it is your story I want you to share with us. When did you first begin to experience heart problems? Because I think that's going to surprise our listeners. Thank you, Candice, and thank you for having me. Um, I was diagnosed with heart failure at the age of 24. It goes back really far in my family. Every female on my mother's side of the family has died from some form of heart disease, whether that is a heart attack or sudden cardiac arrest. So um, I knew the symptoms to look for early on. And when I was 24 years old, I started having palpitations and the kind of palpitations that cause full sweat, nausea, and um, so I, I just went for a checkup. My doctor sent me to the cardiologist and the cardiologist put a monitor on me and said, anytime you feel these palpitations, just record it for us. Within the first three days, I had gotten so many recordings that I sent them in and they called me in immediately. And they told me that my heart was, the heart's a muscle. And they told me that my heart was functioning at less than 50% uh, of the average person, and in fact, so low that I was close to almost needing a transplant at that point. So, and you were 24 years old. I was 24 years old. Um, and you think you're invincible at that age, right? So I said, um, well, what do I do next? And how do I fix this? How do I get better? Um, so I got put on medication at that point. And at that point, they also suggested that I get a defibrillator which I was scared to do. I was 24 years old. I said, I can, surely I can get better on my own. I don't need a defibrillator yet. Let me just, let me just get better. And so I started taking the medication and, um, you know, my heart function went up and down over the years. Um, good years, bad years. There's almost no rhyme or reason why some things would happen. Um, and then in 2018, I came down with a rare autoimmune disease which is part of my story. Uh, I survived Guillain-Barre syndrome. So I, I tell you that because that, that makes the statistic of my survival story that much higher, that much lower. Uh, probably less than 0.001% of people that have survived the number of things that I've survived. So I put that little thing in there because that's a, that's a big part of you know, my survival story. So that was 2018, I was 36 years old. Um, Right after that, got a new job, the high of my life, um, dream career, good family situation, just living life. And um, 
came home one day and it was a day where I was supposed to have been home alone with my son. So this was again, 2019, I was 37 years old. I was supposed to have been home alone with my son. For some reason that day, my husband decided to come home early and my mom came over just to help for the evening. And I was standing at the fridge and I told my husband, I, I don't feel well. Can you just get me some water? I stepped over to the side and um, I don't remember anything after that. So the rest of the story is what's been told to me by my family. Within 30 seconds. And what did they tell you? Yeah, within 30 seconds, uh, I was on the floor. My husband said, uh, my eyes had rolled back in my head. My face was drooping and I had stopped breathing and my lips were starting to turn blue. Um, he said in that moment, it was kind of like, you're watching an episode of House, you're watching an episode of ER, is this really happening in your living room? And my mom started CPR and he called 911. And again, I was supposed to have been home alone that night with my four-year-old. So uh, CPR, luckily the fire station is on the corner from my house, two minutes away, they were here within two minutes. He said, uh, they shocked me seven times before they got a pulse faint enough to transfer me to the hospital. And uh, he said it was a crime scene here. He had to clean up blood everywhere. It was, you know, just horrific. And he had to clean it up and they took me away to the hospital and that was it. Um, so by the time he got there, uh, what they told him was that the timing was very lucky that I came in. Um, there was a doctor on his way out the door and he was the only doctor that had permission to uh, engage the ECMO machine. I don't know if people know what that is, but that is the machine that uh, they don't tell us. Yeah. yeah. It, it circulates all of the blood and the oxygen in your body for you. It keeps you alive, basically. And he happened to still be there. He was supposed to be leaving his shift. And he happened to still be there. And he saw them bringing me in. And he said immediately, ice this lady down. Let's get her on ECMO. And they put me in a drug-induced coma. I spent four and a half weeks in that coma. And my husband said, in that amount of time... You know, when you get put in the ICU, you come in with one problem, but 10 other problems happen because you're in an extremely germ-infested environment. Um, I got pneumonia. I had a lung collapse. I had a GI bleed. I had a brain bleed. There was just a number of things. You know, CPR can cause as much damage as it does good. It'll keep your heart beating. It'll keep oxygen rotating, but it's, it's pushing on your upper GI system and it's pushing on your lungs. So all of those things were affected for me. Um, yeah, so I spent four and a half weeks in a coma. And he said, through those four and a half weeks, they didn't know if my brain was there. They didn't know if I would be me when I woke up. At one point, they were talking to him about a lung transplant for me. At one point, they were talking to him about a heart transplant for me. And, you know, there's just a lot of unknown in situations like that. Doctors do their best, but until they wake you up, they don't know what's going to happen. So four and a half weeks later, they woke me up. And they, it took a full week before I was with it, before I 100% knew what was going on. Um, so the date that I collapsed was August 8th. September 8th was the first day that I remember. And uh, when I first woke up, they told me I had pneumonia and that's why I was in the hospital. They didn't want to tell me immediately what had happened. Why? Oh, they, were they afraid that it might upset you and cause you more problems if you knew the truth? 
it's traumatic, you know, to not know where you've been for the last month, to not know that you were in a coma, to not know any of these things. You know, when you wake up, you don't really know what the date that you collapsed was. You, you, you just don't have any idea. Um, and so, you know, it went a couple of days. I, I woke up, first of all, on a ventilator. You know, I wasn't breathing on my own. My lungs were full of fluid. Um, I couldn't talk. Um, so yeah, they didn't want, they didn't want me to panic immediately. Uh, and so within a few days I knew, I knew something wasn't right. And I finally, once I could write enough to talk to my husband, I asked him what happened. And he finally sat down one night and, and told me the full story of what happened. And so, you know, but after you woke up, you weren't able to go home right away. Were you? No. Um, so I was in the hospital for another, after I woke up, they finally put my defibrillator in, which I should have gotten a decade before. So listen to your doctors. Don't, don't think you're going to get better on your own. There's a reason American Heart Association does the research that they do and provide the help that they help they provide. Um, and I didn't listen. So had I had had that defibrillator, that would have, that would have saved me that night in theory. So I got my defibrillator. Uh, I started recovering for a couple of weeks. They eventually transferred me to long-term rehab and um, I went downhill a little bit at long-term rehab. I wasn't I wasn't ready for it. And I came back to the hospital with yet another case of pneumonia. So I was in the hospital. Um, and at that point they said, listen, we're invested in you. You're one of the youngest patients that we've had to deal with with something like this. We are going to get you to a point where you are graduated enough in your rehab progress to go home and rehabilitate at home so that you don't have to go back to long-term care. Um, so they got me up and walking which was one of the hardest things I've had to do. And they got me to a point where I was breathing on my own, where I was eating and they finally detraked me. And that graduated me out of any chance of going back to long-term long -term care. The scary part was, okay, I was about to go to long-term care. Now I'm going home. What do we do now? <laughs> so October 12th, I went home. Because isn't that where all of this started? Yes, when you were supposed to be at home that night, all alone with your four-year-old son. Yeah. Wow. So you get to go home. What happens next? I get to go home and we have um, basically my mom staying with me all day, my husband with me in the evenings. I'm not allowed to be alone at all. Um, and I start rehab at home. We have a nurse that comes to visit and we have a physical therapist that comes to visit and an occupational therapist that comes to visit. And I spent the next month and a half rehabbing at home until I was finally cleared to drive. It's amazing what your body can do. And it's amazing how you can recover uh, because going from such, such a low, I was driving by mid-December and I was back to work in January. Granted, I'm a little hard-headed and I, <laughs> I pushed them to let me go back to normal because, you know, there is a real depression that you go through after something like this that has happened to you. And in order to push yourself to get better and to recover, you have to try to get some sort of normalcy back. And sitting at home for two months and sitting in the hospital for two months was not normal for me. Um, so I went back to work. Yeah. Um, and then COVID happened. And so March 13th, obviously everybody started working from home. And honestly, for me, that was a little bit of a saving grace. I got to continue recovering from home. Um, you know, going back to work, I might've done it a little premature. I was tired instantly. 
Um, and so this was, this really was a blessing in disguise a little bit for me because I got to work from home. I didn't have to ask for special treatment. Everybody was working from home. <laughs> so the morning of April 30th, 2020, I woke up, my husband and my son were already downstairs. And I remember trying to reach for my phone and I couldn't get my phone. And I thought, well, this is weird. So I, I get up, I'm like, let me just go to the bathroom. And I stumble and I stumble and I stumble and I can't get my footing under me. And I fell. <gasps> and I realized that I couldn't call for help. I tried to call for help and I couldn't talk. So at this point, I crawl to the stairs. I crawl down the stairs and my husband sees me and I can see the look on his face. When you're having a stroke, you know, you're aware of what's happening, but you don't know you're having a stroke and you don't know why you can't talk and you don't know why one side of your body isn't working. Called an ambulance. Again, the fire station is two minutes from our house. The ambulance was there within two minutes. Near the hospital. And he can't come with me at this point because there's COVID. So you're at the hospital by yourself. Uh, and I, I remember very well them telling me, okay, you're having a stroke. We're going to transfer you to another hospital. And I just remember looking at the doctor saying, I'm having a stroke. You just, a couple screws are loose, you know? And they took me to another hospital, wheeled me immediately into the catheter lab. And I woke up post thrombectomy, totally fine. Like this, no face drooping, no residual speech problems, nothing. It, I'm, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. There's no other words for it. And uh, they sent me home within two days. And they sent me home on blood thinners. And unfortunately, they put me on such a high dose of blood thinners for the stroke that I started having some chest pain two days later, went right back to the ER, and they found a full sack of blood around my heart. So I spent all of May, yeah, I spent all of May 2020 in the hospital by myself while they drained the blood and tried to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, yeah, no visitors, just nothing. It's the darkest time of my life, truly. Um, in the midst of that hospital stay, they found two giant clots in my heart. And because my heart was so weak, because of everything that had happened the year before, I was not a candidate to operate and remove those clots. At the end of May, they sent me home and they said, take it easy, live your life, and let's put you on blood thinners and pray that they go away on their own. But I went home a ticking time bomb for another stroke. So I've been home, luckily through all of this, recovering, taking it easy. And um, in December, I went back and I had my echo and there's no clots and they're gone. And so here I am living back to a fairly normal life, post Guillain-Barre, post sudden cardiac arrest and post stroke because of organizations like the American Heart Association and the research that they provide. And you're still not 40 years old yet, are you? I'm 38 years old. Uh, clearly, there is, you are here for a reason, and certainly today I know that reason is to talk about the wonderful work that the American Heart Association does and that research, because clearly it has saved your life more than once. Yes, 100%. You know, the, the thing is, I don't think people, women especially, 
Now, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women, and it kills one out of three women are dying from cardiovascular disease. And that term cardiovascular covers both heart disease and stroke. And I've experienced both. And I just know how many people, especially females, don't pay attention to their own symptoms, don't pay attention to their own bodies. And, you know, we always have other priorities that we're trying to take care of before ourselves. You know, and the one thing that the American Heart Association is doing on days like today, you know, National Wear Red Day, they're issuing an urgent call to raise awareness that the number one killer for women in the U.S. is heart disease. So that's why I support them. And, and you know, that's why they have such a loud message. Let me guess, you have a message for young women, especially like you are, mm -hmm. to not be hard-headed, as you said, mm -hmm. as you were when you got your first diagnosis in your 20s, in your mid-20s. You know, it, you are never too young to be affected by something like this. The youngest and most diverse women are the ones that are the least aware of cardiovascular disease. You don't, you feel invincible in your 20s. You don't feel like anything could happen to you, right? Um, and that, that's my number one suggestion. It's just, just listen, just do research, listen to the symptoms, advocate for yourself, listen to your body, and just go see a doctor. There's so much research out there. Let me ask you this, Anna, what impact have your illnesses had on your being the best mommy that you've always wanted to be to your son? I ask myself that every day, honestly. Um, you know, I just want to set a good example for him, but really now it's, it's about being here for him and being here for me at the same time. Um, I feel like I have a strange deja vu every day when I put him to bed, like, wow, how lucky am I to be here to put him to bed today? And we still have a lot of conversations about it because he talks about when mommy fell. You know, he remembers. He says, you know, mommy, if you fall again, I know what to do. I know which neighbor to go get. And uh, mommy, I'm going to be a doctor to take care of you if you fall again. And uh, the day that I had my stroke, he sat on the stairs and rubbed my back until the ambulance came. It's like, they may be little, but they know. So I'm just, you know, we're setting him up with examples to take care of yourself and to listen to yourself and to just spend time with your family. Again, another silver lining of all this, we've all had so much time to spend together. You're right. When you were in the hospital last spring mm -hmm. and you described it as being some of the darkest time in your life, in addition to the work that you had to do to get better, were the medical professionals able to provide you with the additional support to help you deal with the darkness and the depression because you're there all alone? I want to say yes, um, because, because I'd already been there and because they already knew me and because I was so young, I feel like I formed friendships with a lot of the nurses. Um, everybody went above and beyond to just let me go outside for 10 minutes. Was I really supposed to be doing that? No, but they took me outside and I let me breathe some fresh air and they sat and talked to me. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I was treated like a patient, you know, I feel like I was treated like a sick human being going through a dark time that needed a little bit of support. Um, and literally all of my doctors came to visit me, some just to say hi, because they knew I was in the hospital. 
you know, they know what people are going through during that. So yes, the 100%, 100% felt that support there. And then afterwards, obviously, the, the advice to go with support groups um, through the hospital and through American Heart Association. You know, one in three women, we're all going through this. There are so many resources and stories out there to listen to and um, to just commiserate with. I think we've always had a great appreciation for our healthcare professionals and our first responders, but certainly if it wasn't clear to us before the last year, and certainly for you, your last year has just painted that picture so clearly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my husband said he saw me get shocked seven times a year and then 31 more times at the hospital within the first two days I was there. You know? At what point do you give up? They don't give up. I got shocked over 37 times in the span of a couple of days. So this first responders that shocked me here until they got the faintest of heartbeat just to get me to the hospital to help me survive. 100 percent Yeah, not on not on their watch. And we are so thankful. So, so thankful for them. You've told us to pay attention, especially uh, women of color and marginalized women. Yes, we have families to take care of. Yes, there are 1,001 other things that we're supposed to be doing. But number one still needs to be looking after ourselves. Because if we're not looking after ourselves, we're not going to be around to look after the ones we love, right? How are you today? How is your health today? You know the clots are gone. Are you at risk of them coming back or what? You know, the funny thing about me is I'm a complete mystery to my doctors <laughs> and they don't, they can't tie one thing back to the other. Um, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't spoken about me at a conference yet, honestly, <laughs> but, um, you know, we just take it one day at a time. That's all you can do right now. I have my defibrillator. So if anything happens to my heart, at least I've got that safety blanket to shock me. I've got the blood thinners. So, you know, hopefully I can avoid any future clots and any stroke risk. Um, and I'm just, taking better care of myself, paying more attention to myself, resting when I need to, taking some downtime for myself when I need to. Um, but I feel good. And um, so now I'm trying to figure out how to make how to make a purpose out of this and how I can help others, honestly. That that is my next mission in life. You know, be here for my family, but also make sure there's other people there for their families. Well, Anna, we certainly can't thank you enough for sharing such a remarkable and such a personal story uh, with our listeners because this is heart month and we need to take care of ourselves. We need to pay attention to what is going on with our bodies. And you are living testimony that um, miracles do happen every day. I bet the doctors can't really say that on your chart, but I bet they've said it in every other way that they can, haven't they? But I encourage people to go and um, visit the wearreadday.org website and learn more about what this day represents and learn more about the American Heart Association and the Go Red for Women movement. And just learn a little bit more about cardiovascular disease and how it, it might affect you or people around you. Outstanding. Anna Williams, thank you so much. Thank you.
Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.